welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. Today, we're going to talk about the epidemic of child sexual exploitation, trafficking, and abuse. This is truly a battle between good and evil with a record number of reports year over year. Well, our guest today is a freedom warrior. Her name is Landon Starbuck. Landon is a speaker, writer, and the founder and president of the nonprofit Freedom Forever, which counters the epidemic of child trafficking and exploitation. She left the music industry as a billboard charting singer and songwriter after uncovering the exploitation within the entertainment industry. I know that's a surprise to some. Now she dedicates her life to this fight for children. She's developed the freedom model to solve this horrific problem. Landon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jimmy. I'm so happy to be here. You bet. I know you wear a lot of hats as a, a mom and a professional and now running your own nonprofit and a musician. I mean, my gosh, you know, do you know, do you know which hat you're wearing right now? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get a little confused. I have to switch gears real fast, but That's it's okay. Right. It makes, makes life fun and exciting. Absolutely. Well, listen, I love what you're doing. And as a girl dad, uh, my youngest, my youngest child is, uh, is my daughter. She's 19 now. Uh, she's at college, but this hits very close to home because I know how vulnerable our kids are today. Tell us what you discovered in the entertainment industry that really got you engaged in this fight. Absolutely. Well, I'd have to go back to my childhood. I came from a broken home and I didn't have those defense mechanisms, um, the life experience, you know, that guidance telling me what certain things I'd be exposed to, what they were, how to avoid it, all of those things. So I was very naive and I went into the entertainment industry completely blind, like so many unfortunately do. And, you know, as little girls were sold this idea that, you know, to be a famous singer or actress is this glamorous thing. Um, and they don't show you what actually goes on behind the curtain and, and what is actually required of you and how your morals and faith will be tested. Um, and so really my, my journey has been to myself go through that. Uh, and when I moved to hell, uh, hell, <laughs> Hollywood, that's so little Freudian slip there is basically like, like hell. Um, I, I didn't yeah. know anyone. And yeah. so, <laughs> So, you know, I, I didn't know the, anyone. A lot of and, the audience and, is going to agree with you. You know, a lot of our audience is going to agree <laughs> with so that funny. characterization. Yes. Yeah, it, it, you know, it really is so true. Um, and, and I went through all that. And so I unfortunately witnessed a lot of these things because I myself was a billboard charting musician and I didn't want to participate in the sexual quid pro quo that goes on. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Once I did, I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to make money writing for other Disney stars, thinking that would be a lot better. Well, it was not a lot better. It was a lot worse. And I would see parents drop their kids off at these studios with these producers and directors. And I would, you know, see inappropriate things happening, relationships, things like that. But again, at the time, I didn't understand what was truly inappropriate and, and, and really have a grasp on what I could do about it. And ultimately, I just made the decision, you couldn't pay me enough to sign another NDA to say I didn't see certain things or any of that. And so I just decided to leave. And it, and it really set me on a, 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 a depression uh, spiral because 
that at the time was my identity. I mean, I had built my whole identity around that. And that stems from, you know, broken childhood and this, this, this false dream that young girls are sold, that this will be the solution and answer. If you can just be enough in this way, you'll have this, this, and this, and it's just a lie. That's amazing. And I wonder today, you know, the, I think the incidence of broken homes is on the rise. It's been on the rise for the last 30 years. So we've got more and more kids that are coming out of homes that maybe don't have as stable a presence of adult leadership, whether it's a missing dad or whatever the brokenness in, is in that home. And then like you, you were young when you went to Hollywood. I'm assuming you were young and you were impressionable and you mm -hmm. and you wanted to be successful. So you've got all these motivators that are that are telling you, hey, you know, do what you have to do to be great. But then you've got this conscience saying, hey, wait a minute, this just doesn't feel right. You went to Hollywood with, uh, you know, as a young woman and you want to be successful and you know that um, it's going to take a lot of work. But you, you find yourself in this situation where maybe you're encountering things that you are uncomfortable doing and it's, it doesn't jive with your conscience. How did you navigate the stress of that? You said you kind of left it, but in the moment, how do you navigate that? Well, when you're first realizing what's happening, it, it, it doesn't really make sense. And so you think it's just an anomaly. It's just a one-off thing, or that person was shady or bad. And then you think the next situation will be different. And then it happens again. It happens so many times um, that you start to put pieces together and understand um, that things are structured a certain way. It's kind of like how we've uh, been exposed to how our government works recently. It's it's uncovering that truth and awakening to the reality of what Hollywood is. And it's an exploitation machine. And um, some of the most successful people you, you encounter got there because either they were exploited themselves or they were willing to exploit themselves. And that is the sad reality and truth of what goes on there. And to give you an example, mm. um, one one video I had, my manager said, hey, I want you to do this music video. I want you to star in it. Um, and basically, this will be the key to getting you on tour with this huge band. It would have been a very uh, important and good career move for me. And I show up and they basically say, here, here's your outfit. And it was lingerie. And I said, you didn't tell me about this. I feel put on the spot. I, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't want to wear this. And they labeled me difficult to work with fired me. And then the next week, my manager dropped me. So, you know, enough things like that happen, or you don't go to the parties, you don't, you know, do all the schmoozing that happens. Um, you, you get labeled difficult to work with. And at the time I really thought that, that there was something I did wrong because I would see other artists, up and coming artists willing to do that. And then I would see the person that took my place. Right. And then they got that ma major tour and then they got that next, you know, huge funding on their marketing push for their late. And I started to realize, oh, <laughs> I feel so stupid. This is how it happens. Um, and so that's that's a wow. sad reality of what happens in Hollywood. Wow, that's amazing. And you think about the strength that you had to really kind of stand up for your principles, especially considering you were vulnerable, you're new to the industry. I mean, it is pretty remarkable that you did. But let, let's shift gears a little bit. When I think that when most people think of child sex trafficking, I think that most of them think of that exploitation around movies they've seen, maybe like Taken with Liam Neeson, you know, one of the one of the most jolting movies that I've seen. But the truth is only a small percentage of of the sex trafficking and ch child exploitation really comes in that extreme. 
you know, you say that a child can be trafficked out of their bedroom on their device without having a physical sexual encounter. What do you mean by that? Absolutely. And that's such an important distinction because most of child trafficking sexual cases are a person that the child knows and trusts. Um, and that is often and most often recently facilitated online by um, chat rooms, by um, a, an adult accessing that child, having access and developing relationship. And a lot of the times these kids don't realize they're talking to a seasoned pedophile. Um, they are they trade grooming manuals. They know how to access kids and kids are vulnerable. Their brains aren't developed. Um, and so parents don't realize when they're putting their kids in these situations or handing them a smartphone, it's the same equivalent to dropping them off at pedophile meetup night at the bowling alley, which they would never do in physical reality. Yeah. But these devices are the most dangerous thing. Um, and it's all about the environment that we put our kids into and expect them to thrive in. We're sending them in to this dark world that they are not equipped to navigate. Their brains aren't developed, their emotions, their identities, and they get hijacked in those vulnerabilities. The fact that, that that immaturity is there and that lack of identity or those insecurities, these pedophiles are trained to prey on them and get their claws in there. And they do that a myriad of ways. Um, sextortion by pretending that they are some young, you know, football player who's suddenly taking an interest, you know, that kind of thing. And then they will still spend years. In some cases, they will spend years grooming these children. And so in one case, this, this a young lady was groomed out of her bedroom and her parents were in the next door, the, the next, the wall away. She said, I could hear my parents talking, watching TV, and they knew I was on my device but they didn't know about secret apps, secret chats, all of these things. Um, and they didn't know that she was having a private relationship. And unfortunately, she sent a nude, okay? And this is something that unbelievably is being uh, encouraged in, in this radical sex ed. They're literally normalizing this, saying that it's normal form of self-expression and, and a means of showing affection to send each other nudes. So these kids, it's not their fault. They're sending these nudes and then they get sex sorted and they say, hey, just send me this and we'll be done. And then it just escalates from there. And that is how they're trafficked because trafficking is when there's a profit involved. It doesn't involve movement necessarily. It's just force, fraud, or coercion. It's amazing. You know, and, and truthfully, so I want to talk about the schools. I'm going to put that on the shelf for a second because this is a big, big issue, right? But don't most parents, like you, you, you described a very scary reality where mom and dad or parents are in one room kid is in their bedroom or in another room on their device. And we don't know that there's a predator uh, approaching our kid in the other room. And the parents always say, oh, not my kid. You know, hey, listen, I'm, I'm monitoring their social media. I'm on top of it. Tell me why that doesn't hold up. Well, okay, number one, that is literally, I mean, the same thing we've heard every survivor family say is I thought not my kid, right? And it's the same parents who also say things like, oh, I heard about this abduction at Target, and right? These things do exist. We hear about them in our communities when they happen because they're so, you know, uh, egregious in nature. But the reality is the, the greatest threat to our kids isn't actually at Target or on the cul-de-sac. It's on these devices. And when we give this to a child, it's not just about the predators looking for them. It's about, this is a grooming device. 
When you give a child that does not have the digital self-defense skills, it is, it's sending them into the wild and the woods and say, hey, savage, you know, uh, find your own way. You know, don't worry about the savages coming to attack you. You're going to have to figure it out. And we've been lied to as parents. These, these big tech companies and the politicians that prop them up and are funded by them have lied to us and given us this false um, sense of security that they say, oh, well, you just put these protective you know, things on your phone and your kid will be safe if you just do this. And it's a lie. None of the protective mechanisms are working. None of them are efficient. And there is no incentive or accountability for them to do so. In fact, it's just the opposite. They're profiting off of exploiting even the data, um, the psychological metrics of your child. So this is a grooming device. It's an exploitation device. And it's a device where predators can more easily access kids. So we have to rethink the way we think about this. Okay, that is a game changer, right? That image, just the image that this device is a grooming device. When, when thinking about my daughter, my sons, when they were younger, to think of that more as dangerous, you know, you kind of have to look at that phone in their hands as something that's dangerous that you need to get your hands on. Listen, I'm like all the rest of the parents. We had filters on computers. We had, you know, we would ask them for their phones. We would take a look at their history, et cetera, et cetera. We felt like we were involved. But what you're saying is there's secret ways around this. There are things about it that make it more dangerous, even when you think you're doing the right things. Help us understand that a little bit more. Absolutely. And I would take it a step further. It's not even just the the protective things we think we're doing. I mean, children have yeah. been trafficked, exploited, and there's CSAM, child sexual abuse material, all over Instagram, all over Facebook, all over mm -hmm. Twitter. And again, these are the companies recruiting kids to come on their platform saying, hey, if you're 13, come on our platforms. That is recruiting and enticement in a, in a just world. Our politicians, which would and should be going after these big tech companies and holding them accountable the same way they would, you know, a, a truck company like Ford if they put uh, defective seatbelts in, right? Why are companies like that, these mega corporations accountable for things, safety regulations like that, but a predator can bypass all of the safety mechanisms that they create that are designed to, to fail. They're flawed in nature. And then our children are exploited, trafficked, sextorted, all of those things. And not only that, but they are inviting them to come to their platforms for that to be a risk. And parents are not being informed about that risk. Our public health measures are not designating porn as a public health crisis, especially for children. Not in, in the opposite is being taught in schools. Yeah. They are encouraging kids to pick up this, to engage this, because this is also a way to bypass parental control, parental involvement. And not only that is there's a, a rights agenda that they're pushing globally to give kids access to education and resources. What does that mean? This without restrictions. That's what that means. Okay. So part of, part of what you just revealed to us is that this is an overt <clears throat> kind of attack, right? This, this isn't passive. These companies know exactly what they're doing. And the thing that amazes me most is we can shut down any content that we want that's objectionable or seen as misinformation or disinformation. We've seen it for the last two years where literal medical experts have been censored off of platforms. And yet we can't protect our most vulnerable. We can't protect our kids 
from this garbage that's online. And you start, you mentioned things. I'm going to ask you about the pillars uh, that add fuel to this fire in just a minute. But let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the school engagement here, right? You said this phone is used to bypass parents. Oh my gosh, like that. Okay, time out. That's what I feel like schools are today. Schools are designed to bypass parents and to separate a parent from their child and the decisions that they're making. Is that what we're seeing in the schools today? Absolutely. Yes. And this is part of a communist agenda. There's many different people that benefit, right? People say, okay, well, it's the globalists. It's these, it's, it's everybody benefits that has this kind of evil agenda to separate children from their parents, because it's ultimately about destroying the nuclear family, the most powerful force, not only protecting our religious liberties and freedoms, but the only mechanism we have to really fight back against all of this evil. Yeah. Why don't we see schools this way? Like I see it, you see it, Millions of parents are waking up to this, and yet we still sends our, send our kids into that environment where they are being indoctrinated. They're being exposed to material that there is no way on God's green earth we would ever let our kids be exposed to. Why do we keep sending them into these environments when we know they're going to be groomed and indoctrinated? I think that it's society's grooming that's taken place before. And that's why this agenda has rolled out a certain way. Because, I mean, look, we know that kids are trafficked on this, but we are still giving kids this phone. We know that the grooming's happening in schools, and yet we still drop our kids off at the schools. We, we know all of this, and we can still vote for that right person. But until the individual, there's a revolution inside of the individual to understand that it comes down to that cellular level because this is how things get normalized. If there's not a big resistance, the left continues the momentum of this agenda. And they know that. They know that better than we do. They know we don't protest. They know we don't show up. They know we don't ruffle feathers. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't, we, because we value peace more than we value morality. We value, we, uh, you know, complacency more than we do being uh, confrontational righteously standing up for people, standing up for truth. That's what we truly value, yes. our own comfortability and complacency. You know, that is an indictment, what you just said. I mean, you're kind of blowing up a whole bunch of categories. We value peace more than morality, right? And, and I think that's true. I think that we, we don't want to fight. We don't want to spend our evenings at the school board meetings. We don't want to be confronting people about different things. We, we just kind of want to live our lives in peace. I think that's true. The problem with that, of course, and, and you mentioned your situation, you came from a, from a, a uh, broken home, but the, the truth today is that even if you're coming from an intact family, uh, a traditional nuclear family where mom and dad are both there, maybe, maybe it's a great family that has great values and is involved in the community, maybe involved in their church, or um, it's those families are also vulnerable, aren't they? Absolutely. And, and I, I would argue, I mean, I hold, I'm a Christian and I, I hold our community to a higher standard because if you look at the foundation of America and really what politics is, I mean, it's about protecting our God given rights. It's not yes. about politics. It's not about any of this stuff. It's about the last stand for morality, which comes from where it comes from God. And they know that again, the left knows this and they, 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 they capitalize on those weaknesses of ours because they know our behavior and they know that it's not changing. And that is why each of us have to have a conviction, a moment of where we really reckon with 
that is absolutely the truth of what's happening and why we're not seeing red waves and it, the like everybody hypes us up or, or we put our, you know, hands of our, 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 the future of our children in the hands of these politicians that yes. put on the nice suit and lie to us every time. And we, we make them our savior yes. and we it, abdicate our role as parents. We abdicate, abdicate our role as Americans and we abdicate our role as faith leaders and, and yes. what we're truly supposed to be representing. Yes. It, it really is discouraging when you find out what a small percentage of the church community, the Christian church community, that actually engages in the culture, that engages in even in voting, which is the simplest thing to do, right? But also the small, infinitesimally small percentage of the church community that shows up in a significant way in their communities to talk about what's going on in their schools and get that changed. I mean, it really is discouraging, but but it is the answer too, isn't it? To really energize this community, to see the, the immorality that's happening, the risk that's happening to our children so that they get to a place where they're jolted into, into action. Isn't that part of this? Absolutely, and it's also the leadership because I believe a lot of the churches, um, the whole culture has been infiltrated so that the people that are leading the churches um, are not welcoming of that. So say you have an activist group of parents that say, hey, we want to, we want the church to address this issue. We have pornography in our schools. We need to, we're called to rebuke it. We're not called to sit and be peaceful with it and make peace with evil. You know, so it, it's mind boggling that some of these pastors, they just turn away, you know, and, and it's, it's that cowardice that is yeah. going to dissolve the church, not from the outside, but from the inside before the outside ever hits. And that yeah. is, again, the left knows this. These people know this. And that's, yeah. it's all by design. And that whole worldview has in, infiltrated the church, right? This liberal yeah. leftist ideology is in the pulpit. I mean, I read a study that said that only a third, roughly a third of all pastors have a biblical worldview. In other words, that they actually hold to biblical truth and right. the belief that they should act on it. And worse than that, of course, I think, our leaders have bought into this whole separation of church and state thing, which doesn't exist in any formal document in our system. It's a, it's a myth. You do not have to check your faith at the, at the public door. My private faith comes with me and it informs everything that I do. How do we get pastors to enter, you know, to stand up to talk about this from the pulpit, which they absolutely should be doing. This is a moral issue. This isn't a, a political issue. This is a moral issue. What do we do to energize our pastors to get into that game? Well, I think there's there's two different approaches. I mean, sure, I think there's a utility in encouraging our pastors first and foremost to say, hey, these are the issues that are important to us. And this is where we really need to be uh, filled up in church. We need you to address these things. We need your leadership. But if that doesn't work, I think that people um, at this point in time, you know, the remnant church are being called to start new churches, to start um, really that that authority role stepping down and that these people, these humble servants and, you know, war spiritual warriors coming to help lead, lead people in the right direction, biblically, um, in all of these ways that are unafraid. That's that's the biggest thing, unafraid to not only um, preach the truth, but to embody it, to be unafraid of it, to be bold in it. 
that is what we need. Um, and we have very few of that. So rather than going on a, you know, awaken the pastors tour, right. you know, I right. think we need to awaken ourselves and, and say, Hey, you know what? Maybe this church isn't for me. Maybe I need to go start one or be with, you know, somebody else who's doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I see more of that happening now more than ever. Um, in that separation and division within the church, uh, wow. that needs to happen. It, it does because otherwise we are continuing to enable and embolden lies. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay. You talk about the solution is really not just to make people aware of it. It's not to throw money at it. Um, and, and even while it's good that we're rescuing kids. And by the way, I know, I personally know people that are rescuing kids from this exploitation and you do too, you know, many of them. Um, but you talk about the solution being to stop the demand, right? And I love this. It, it totally is a game changer. It's not trying to stop it once it's happened. It's stop the demand. Talk about the, the key kind of the gasoline that gets poured on this and how we go about stopping that. Absolutely. Um, so there was a period of time where all I was focused on was rescuing children, thinking that that is what we needed. We just have all these children that need to be rescued, rescued. And there's a lot of organizations that do that. And yes, there's a need for that. But that is not the solution. It doesn't solve trafficking. It doesn't solve this problem. So if you're looking at, you know, a line of this is the access point of rescuing a child, what comes before that? You know, we're seeing before that the grooming process. And then how did the grooming process happen? What kind of legislation uh, changed in our community? What kind of enforcement changed? What kind of mm -hmm. cultural uh, change? What kind of academics and curriculums have changed to facilitate this grooming process? Yes. And so we press rewind and we see the roots of all of these things being the foundation being laid. Mm -hmm. And that is the access point, actually. It's not just the rescue. That's the end yeah. point of it. Yeah, and so if we really that. want to stop this and reduce it, we need to press rewind and from our the inside out approach, which is in the freedom model that I'm working on, is looking in our own homes. How are we grooming our children unconsciously in our own homes? What are we allowing to influence them? And then we drop them off for eight hours a day. How many hours a week, you know, to these these environments? How are these environments grooming our children? So it really uh, is taking an inventory of our entire lives of what our children are exposed to and connecting the dots of what behaviors might be tied to these certain exposures. And when you start accumulating the risk factors, you start yeah. to make different changes. It's amazing. Okay. So now all my kids are grown. My daughter's 19. My boys are 27 down to 22. And we fought this fight, right? <laughs> we, we, we fought the, the social media fight. We fought the use of the device. We were the parent. We were always those parents, you know, that were like <laughs> restrictive. But really what you're saying is, hey, no, that's actually what you need to do. You, you need to actually win that fight. How do you go about winning that fight right now? Right. The parents are the parents really are the key components of this, I think, because it starts in the home. How do you create a culture and a setup that leads to protecting your most vulnerable kids? Absolutely. Well, we need a parenting revolution and more than flowery, you know, words, it really means that parents understand that their role now is to be a warrior. And that's not a hyperbole. It is it is what we are being called to in this moment do, because if we don't, our children will be eaten up by all of this propaganda, grooming and everything, because that train is not stopping. 
um, until we get involved and recognize that we do, especially what freedoms we do have left in this country, um, have the ability to protect our ki our kids. And we've been lied to to say that we can't uh, homeschool or that we can't start micro schools or church schools or things of that nature and fight for our right to educate our kids as we see fit. Um, and so it's changing the whole, it's a revolutionary approach because it's changing the way uh, you see your role as a parent and your rights as a parent. It's taking back control. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've licensed out so much control to these outside institutions to raise our children. So it should really be no surprise that this is happening to our kids. Um, and so it's really just a, you know, a process that has to start with the parents um, of recognizing all of these concessions that we've made for what's normal. And again, normal is kind of like on, this, on the same line as peace, right? Yeah. Where we value peace and normal, you know, more than we do what's right. And we have to ask ourselves if we want to raise moral kids, if we want to raise warrior children mm -hmm. that are equipped to combat these evils and not take part in them, then we have to change our strategy because clearly what is, you know, we're doing now is not working. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely not working. And every system is kind of tilted against us, right? From entertainment to schools to social media. How do you, um, in a practical sense, how do you protect your kids from from this propaganda and indoctrination? I mean, we used to trust Disney. I mean, I, I can remember, I mean, Disney used to be fun, engaging, right. positive values. It is dangerous. Mm -hmm. But Disney's the tip of the iceberg. But Disney, Netflix, all the rest of these, how do we, how do we, um, how do we keep our kids from this type of propaganda and indoctrination and grooming? Absolutely. Well, what role, you know, what value does entertainment have in each of our families? I think that's the first question to ask. How much time are we devoted to that? Um, what is our, our version of entertainment? Um, I think asking ourselves these questions is really crucial. I, I did that with my own family because, you know, at the time I was still making exceptions for certain shows or networks or things like this. But you know what? It, get, it gets exhausting as a parent uh, to do the, to uh, constantly be monitoring that and the devices. And parents are just like, you know what? I've had enough. I can't do it. I don't have time. I have a job. Yeah. So let's make it easy. Just pull the plug on this entertainment propaganda. It, it, is, it is that easy to make that decision. It's not always easy to implement it. There's going to be some growing pains. But again, yeah. it's not about a mentality of taking away and saying no. It's yeah. about opening up a whole new world of adventure. So for instance, the, mm -hmm. the, the week that we decided to pull the plug on Disney, Netflix, all of that garbage, we said, hey guys, we have this great idea. We're going to go take an adventure. We're going to go, you know, we're going to do this thing in Florida. And we are, we're not going to use devices. We're not going to do any of this stuff. And it was like a fun challenge. Yeah. And we, we had so many memories on that trip. By the time we got back, my, my youngest son was said, you know, I don't, I don't even want to watch it. You know, I, I want to go outside and work on this thing. I want to do our business that we talked about on our trip. Yes. And, you know, it changed. And, and I'm not saying it's easy because my, my oldest, you know, she's 13, almost 14. And at the time, she was around a lot of kids that had devices. And we made the decision to pull her from an environment that were around kids with the devices, with the parents who just were not on the same page because I care more about the environment she's in Yes. making it easier for her to grow into the person, the young woman she needs to grow into be. And yeah. so I have control as a parent of her environment. It's not about isolating her. It's about insulating her from mm -hmm. those harmful things so that she can grow and she can have friendships, but it's in a, a container of what's going to allow her to grow without all of these risks and pressures. Yeah. 
that are unnecessary. Yeah. And, and so that's really, um, it's just those little micro steps, you know, yeah. each week tackling a new thing. Um, it, it's a very revealing process, but once you get going, it's yeah. a whole new world. It's like, it's like falling in love with a new like workout thing, you know? And then right. you're like, how did I go so many years without eating this way? Or, you know, yes. it's just, it's fun. It's, it's not this yeah. horrible, how, what would my life be without Netflix? Oh my gosh, what would I right. do with myself? Oh yeah. It's really convicting, right? Because I mean, and, and what I love about what you're talking about is you're involving your kids in the process, right? And yes. you're making it super attractive. Like you can't just remove something without replacing it with something of yes. great value that all of a sudden they go, you know what? I feel better now that I'm not on the social media. I mean, I'll give you an example. My daughter, one of the strongest young women that I know, when she's on social media, it still unsettles her. It creates anxiety. It creates um, stress. It creates comparison, a way unnecessary comparison. And it really shakes up your confidence. She recently, in the last couple of months, said, I'm done with social media. And God love her, man. She she is done with it. And she's a different person. She was almost a different person overnight. It was that profound. Like, no, nope, much more confident, much more at peace. And that's why I love what you're saying. Hey, pull the plug. Why are we just, why are we constantly policing? Instead of policing, why don't we pull the plug? I love right. that. It's exhausting. I don't know how parents do. I mean, it was exhausting oh. for me. I was miserable doing yeah. that. I mean, it, it's, it, it takes the fun out of life and yeah. it makes you, it, it puts an adversarial paradigm into your relationship with your own children. Yes. Oh, it creates all this unnecessary conflict, right? Because yeah. you feel like you're monitoring them. No one likes to be monitored. Nobody right. likes to be micromanaged in a, a leadership term. I remember, <laughs> right. Landon, you'll love this. I'll remember uh, years and years ago, probably 20 years ago now, I remember when my wife and I made the decision to end fast food for our family. It was it. I, I, <laughs> I was working in the health club industry and I came home and we had all these bags of fast food because we were running hard. We were on different fields. We had four kids in activities. And I was like, wait a minute, this is hypocritical. I don't believe in eating this garbage. It's bad for my kids. And I'll never forget, we pulled the plug on it. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was a miserable <laughs> few days. <laughs> and then about a week later, everyone felt so much better. They were in better moods. And everyone was like, you know, there might be something to this. So... <laughs> Anyway, it's the same type Absolutely. of thing, right? Pull the plug. Stop eating the fast food. Pull the plug on this yeah. propaganda and, and indoctrination. Right. Um, and that that's so true. And it's like parenting today, you know, all of the, um, I don't know, what, it, what new agey type of parenting strategies are all about avoiding conflict. They're all about your kid can't be upset because they can't tolerate their emotions being upset. Welcome to life. Yes, they're going to have to tolerate being upset and you're doing them a favor by yes. by allowing them to hear no and going oh i can be resilient when i hear no you yes. know it, and, and of course you know we explain we involve our kids in a lot of stuff but sometimes it's it's just no you know and yeah. they trust us and that that's yeah. the beauty of when you have a really strong relationship with your children there is a trust factor there and a level of respect because they do yeah. trust you they trust yeah. your motivations it's not about control it's about love yes I love that. And I think, you know, one of the things that we always used to tell our kids, and I told them this over and over again, nobody wants better for you than me. You know, God, of course, God, the creator mm -hmm. of all has a purpose and a plan for your life. And, you know, as believers, we believe that that's a special relationship between ourselves and, and our creator. And at the same time, on this earth, 
There is no one that will love you and want better for you than me and your mom. And right. you have to repeat that. And you, and cause you're showing up in that way, but there becomes this belief system. What do you do if your kids, you, you mentioned this a little bit. What do you do if your kids are around a friend group, which you know is toxic and maybe they're being exposed to things or attitudes where those kids don't are disrespectful to their parents or whatever the thing is. What do you do in those situations? You had a strategy. What would you coach parents to do? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough because if kids are in, you know, these, these the school system yeah. where they're majority going to be exposed to that if it's, you know, the majority of the school systems. Yeah. Um, I know there's exceptions in some areas, which is great. You know, keep that, keep up that work to protect yeah. that environment. But that this is where the, the rubber meets the road, right? Mm -hmm. The, I would say, you know, the public education system is not conducive to pr that protective environment um, just by the nature of what it is from every aspect. So it's very difficult to send your kid into a um, population, right? It's almost like a, a prison, like uh, so many, yeah. you know, people there um, and expect them to, to be able to navigate that and to develop meaningful connection and, and substantial relationships that mm -hmm. aren't based on these superficial things of what are you wearing and what do you have? Yeah. And that environment is conducive to those that superficial um, type yeah. of relationship. So it's being intentional. And um, basically, we've, we facilitated intentional relationships by doing family pangs and play, play dates with people that we share values with, that we know what their their rules with devices are and, their, mm. and those things. It's very important um, because mm. then your kids aren't going to be in a situation for them to even make a wrong choice. Yeah. Um, and again, we're trying to like, we're trying to raise kids with, with those roots stable before they're tested. The yeah. problem is we're, we're testing those roots before they're even sunk into the ground. And yeah. that's not fair to kids. It's really not. Our, our number one job is to protect them from yeah. these harms so that they can establish roots. And so putting them in an environment like that is number one. So sorry to like deviate, deviate off, but that's a huge part that yeah. I think maybe people are missing is they say, okay, I'm going to do all that but have my kids in this massive public school where they're right. exposed to it every day, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and again, the amount of time matters who you hang around matters. Um, and so kids are going to be influenced. Just, it's just a matter of the nature of the environment. So I think that's, that's yeah. it being intentional about those, those relationships. Um, and again, if they have, say they have an old friend, like we had the situation and now it's not really a thing, but cause my daughter naturally outgrew that relationship um, for herself but mm. we had a friendship that maybe we didn't, the parents, you know, don't see eye to eye on things. Um, but I, I trusted my daughter in a situation where she couldn't fail, basically. Mm. So a, a, a relationship where or basically it's not a private, it's not a sleepover. It's not them one on one at a mall or in a situation like that where she could be in a situation where she wouldn't make a good choice. It was yeah. more like, hey, she can come over here. You guys can go ride four wheelers, you know, and then eventually the the relationship can only get so far because my daughter doesn't want to talk about TikTok that she doesn't have. She doesn't want right. to do little dances and go, you know, oh. it's just, she's like, um, I'm not really feeling this relationship anymore. I'm like, okay, cool. Yes. You know, and that's, it's letting them, you know, yeah. again, it's, it's, we don't want to pull the plug so hard that, mm -hmm. you know, they resent us. That's not the right. answer. It's, it's the same right. thing as like that hard theology. That's not yeah. relationship based. You know, we, you can't yeah. force somebody to love God. You have to right. show them who God is. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're empowering her to make these decisions. You're putting her in an environment like what, what you said, where she can't really fail. She can't fail far. 
right? <laughs> it's not going to be a horrific, uh, catastrophic right. failure. It's just a, a, a decision, right? But you're empowering her now to evaluate the relationship. Hey, is this a relationship that I want to be in? But what what I love about your freedom model, and I know you're you're putting a, you're getting even a lot more um, details to this. It's so important that we have this freedom model, right? That it starts in the home. It starts with you, right? It starts in the home, creating the environment in the home that's conducive to your values and and uh, empowering your kids to make those decisions, those wise decisions. And then you talk about the school environment, right? And we've talked at length about how dangerous the school environment is. We actually, on this end, we are. Um, compelling parents to pull their kids out of public school, okay? In the event that you find your kids in a public school environment where indoctrination and propaganda is full on, which, by the way, is just about every school, um, and you can't influence the change, you can't be there enough, you can't influence the change, then you have an obligation to remove your kid from that dangerous environment, we believe. That's right. I do realize that's a difficult decision to make for parents, especially two to job parents and lots of demands, but I don't think there's anything more important than the health of your kids. So you've got the home life, you've got the school life. Tell us about the community. I think you just mentioned it is, is designing these relationships with other families of like mind. Is that kind of that community piece? Absolutely. And also, you know, community resources. When, when we're talking mm-hmm. about families that are not, they don't have parents that that are you know aware of these issues and are going to raise their children and protect them. Um, I want to have um, community uh, outreach. I want churches to be involved and yes. to provide um, free activities for kids after school, things of that nature. I mean, look at what the left does. They have free LGBT communities and 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 programs for these kids that other people are outreaching them and spending their time. And quite yes. frankly, we just don't do a good job of that, of outreaching to those kids, those at-risk children. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the single moms, I mean, this is like, people don't realize single moms, predators target single moms uh, more than, you know, families. In fact, they pretty much don't target kids with a present strong father at all. In fact, most survivors I've worked with, I ask, you know, what would be the one thing that would have stopped this from happening? And they all say, you know, had I had a dad, had I had my dad protected me or been there at all. And so this is this is crucial information because when we're looking at a community of a kid who is already at risk, you know, single mom, we need to find ways to support the single mom to offer child care, church service, whatever we can to help, you know, help that child uh, shape their growth. Um, help them develop skills, uh, passions, th- things that can help shape their identity in a positive way um, to replace those negative things that are there waiting to sink their their hook, hooks into children. Yes. And, yeah. and so we really have to, it's an it's about all children. It's not just about ours. Um, yeah. You know, my kids are fine. I, you know, I'm not, I'm worried about all children, um, yeah. about what's happening to them. And, and I have friends who still have kids um, in, in the school system. And they aren't happy about it, but they're in a very unique situation yeah. where, you know, maybe there's a custody situation and they, yeah. they can't, they, they just can't pull them. Yeah. Um, in those situations, like I have so much compassion. Yeah. I, I don't think that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's difficult. We have to have compassion for those people and say, how can I support you? How can I help you? Maybe it's, you know, taking, taking their kid to, to hang out and do something with your kid or taking them for ice cream on Fridays. Those little things make such a difference and people don't yeah. think of it as advocacy or, you know, but it's, that is, that is what we're yeah. supposed to be doing. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, part of what I think the solution is to in those situations, which I understand, you know, it's very difficult to be in those situations where you feel between a rock and a hard place. Well, how do, how do I do it? How do I pull it off? 
What I love is the resurgence and the expansion of the homeschool community. Not only me homeschooling my kids, for example, or my family deciding to do that, but these networks and these co-ops where kids are in groups of other kids and families that have the same intention that are that are homeschooling those kids in groups. And this is a spot where I think the church can really be instrumental. Churches have space. Yes. They've got available yes. space. They've got resources. Right. Let's right. start to u- get creative to solve that problem for people that are having a hard time pulling their kids out of public schools. Yes, absolutely. 100%. How would you... so? Let's let's end the program with a little encouragement. What would you if you were to talk to parents right now and you said, hey, if there's one thing or maybe there's two things that you would encourage them to do right now that could make the greatest positive difference in protecting their kids from this vulnerability, what would you tell them to do? What what I did with my husband and I, we sat down and we wrote out a family constitution of sorts Mm, of what are our family values? Mm. What are we trying to raise our children? What kind of humans are we raising them to be? And how are we going to do it? What are we going to avoid? And we took an inventory of our whole lives. I mean, honestly, we did our, where we spend our money, what companies Mm. we, we fund, everything that we could. And we started making small changes one at a time. Um, that were feasible, that didn't disrupt our, our lives too much, just one thing at a time. And slowly, you know, that process transformed our whole family, our whole family dynamics. And it is so freeing, so liberating. Um, and so doing that, really taking the time to sit down with your partner, you know, your husband and wife and and really say, we're leader, we're, we're the leaders here of our family. Where are we leading our children? Because mm. I'm going to leave you with this. Yeah. A, a really great exercise. Ask your kids, go home and ask your kids, name me three celebrities. They'll list them off so quickly, your head will spin. Name me three pop songs. They can name them so quickly, your head will spin. What are our family values? Um, <laughs> uh, be honest. Yeah, honest, you know, like it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And then you realize this is the access point. This is where we get to work. Yes. This is where we change our entire family. And, and that is that. a beautiful exercise to start that process. I love that. I think that's a great place to, to end. What an encouragement, right? Because you've just empowered parents to do something tangible that could change the course of their family. I love it. Landon, listen, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for exposing a whole bunch of stuff to our parents and then giving them some tools uh, to really kind of uh, protect their kids from these vulnerabilities. And more than that, to create a tremendous family environment that they're, they're going to enjoy and be safe in and never forget. Thanks for all you're doing. Appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. much. Thanks, you Jimmy. Bet. God bless you.